y'all can go ahead and have a seat and watch this short video. I'm full. Pops, you full? Uh, I haven't been this full since Truman dropped the big one. <laughs> Nana, are you full? I'm as full as my purse! Becky, are you full? You know it, G-Ma. Full does not describe the sheer amount of fullness I'm feeling right now. Billy, what about you? I'm super full. Hey, it's Crazy Uncle Carl! Hey, Billy! Hey, Crazy Uncle Carl, are you full? <laughs> I'm crazy full! <laughs> Hey, Scam! Are you full? He's full. I'm fuller than a lobster boat on the moon. I'm fuller than Mom when she breaks her low-carb diet. I'm fuller than Hawaii and the three states underneath it. I'm so full I need Mom's maternity pants. Hashtag, oh snap. I'm full in my whole body. How about you, Tom Selleck? I'm full. I'm so full, you're gonna have to carry me out of here. I'm as full as a ticket of blood bank. I'm full. I'm full. I'm full. Full. Hashtag F U double L. I'm full. 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 I'm full. Well, if everyone's full, let's eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so full. So full of your your joy, and full of your, your grace and your hope. Father, we're, we're full of your, your peace and your love. And for that, we're thankful. Amen. Amen. Carl, I thought you were bringing great-grandma Nuna with you. Is it time to eat? Yeah, yeah. We, hey, we live in a country that has done such a good job destroying the meaning of our holidays. And uh, that's funny, but it's what so much, so many of us have done. I mean, I look forward to Thanksgiving every year. Why? Because I like to eat, you know? And, it, and we almost do that, not in the spiritual sense, but hey, we're full. We've actually eaten, so let's go eat again. It becomes all about eating, and it becomes all about good things like family and uh, just being thankful for things in general. But you'll see this morning that, I, I, I mind you, that seven Dudes decorated this room. No, well, Allie helped a little bit, but for the most part, seven guys decorated this room. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, you guys are a rough crowd. Come on, that's that's funny. All right, and uh, but Thanksgiving has become all about family, football, getting together, all these good things, these fun things, but we forget to rest in the presence of God in these moments. And as you look around, even this building, there's Christmas trees. There's three Christmas trees, one there, one out there, and one up here. Every time you look at a Christmas tree, it should bring you to the cross. Because what does is, what is the Christmas tree represent? It says gifts, 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 gifts. But what's the best gift that we have ever received? It's in Jesus Christ. 
coming to earth, born as a child, born in a manger, going to the cross. So every time you look at a Christmas tree, think about the gift that you have received in Jesus Christ. And let's not, as a church, let's not forget about the true meaning of the season this year. Amen? Amen. If you'll notice uh, a prayer request, we're using this little screen here this morning. I apologize for that. But our projector just won't turn on for some reason. It won't turn on. But we're going to worship together anyway. And uh, so look at that screen. And if you can't see it, uh, just write an email to the deacons and say, we need new screens. Boom. That's all you need to do. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That was my little plug for that. Um, Here we go. Uh, Everybody, uh, go on and stand up. We're going to continue our worship together. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed their holiday weekend. It's uh, hard to go back to work after five days off, but um, we uh, trust that you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving or... uh, as the original pilgrims called it, Black Friday Eve. <laughs> it's amazing how uh, Thanksgiving has, has really become the, the quintessential American holiday. You wear sweatpants, watch football, eat, watch more football, eat until you're full, then have some pie, and then leftovers. And then you get out to Walmart to fight people to buy a bunch of stuff that you don't really need. It's, it truly is an American holiday, unfortunately, in, in some of the worst uh, stereotypical ways imaginable. It's hard to believe that it was 100 years ago, 150 years ago last month that Thanksgiving was actually officially recognized as a national holiday. It was Lincoln. 1863, in the middle of a civil war, who said that on the final Thursday of every November, the nation should get together, stop what it's doing, and enter into a time of repentance and prayer and a recognition of God as the giver of all good things, as the one who has given us this Um, unprecedented wealth, affluence, and uh, and blessing upon our nation. And that was in the period of the bloodiest and deadliest war in the history of our nation. Incredible. So as we turn the the calendar into, uh, into December and we go from Thanksgiving into the Advent season, Uh, We want to just take a moment to to recognize that there are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of of things that that can move us from the meaning of Christmas season into into some further distractions. So as we move from Malachi here and and into uh, our Advent series called Simple Christmas, uh, Austin's going to be coming up and preaching here shortly. Uh, We just want to encourage you all to to just kind of take a deep breath this season. Don't get focused, don't focus in on how many shopping days there are left until Christmas. 23, but who's counting? 
But uh, we want to be able to focus in on the, the gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ come to earth, God himself made flesh to experience the, the kind of life that we experience every day. Not just the good parts, but the bad parts. The pain, the loss, the suffering, all for us. It truly is the greatest gift of Christmas. So as we uh, prepare to take our, our tithes and our offerings this morning, we just want to uh, take a moment to, and, and truly be thankful. Be thankful for the gifts that have been given. We ask that uh, you give cheerfully and thankfully. And if you're a guest here this morning, just be our guest. Don't feel, don't feel needed to, uh, to put any money in the offering. We hope you've got a church back home that you, you give to faithfully. And if you don't, then maybe you want to consider joining us here at Creekside. So this morning there's going to be two offerings. The first is going to be the regular offering. And the second, the green bag, is going to be for the building fund. And uh, that's just what we do uh, occasionally so that people who have made uh, pledges for the building fund could uh, continue to have an opportunity to give there. So uh, the band is going to play here, and, and we're going to give the offering. But uh, please uh, pray with me here before we begin. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful uh, to be called your children. We are thank you, th thankful for Christ and the gift that was given to us freely. Not anything that we earned or deserved, but just as a, as just a, a radical gift of love. As we enter into the Christmas season, I just ask that you would uh, be with us in abundance and uh, help us uh, to focus in on what's truly important about this season and keep us from being distracted uh, by all of the... Uh, the demands and the time and the, the need to, to give or need to uh, receive. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless us richly with your presence. And we just thank you for the gifts of family, of love, of food and, and warm homes to go home to. And we pray a special blessing upon those who, who don't have those things now, God, that your gift of provision uh, would go before them and uh, you would bring them comfort. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. Good morning. I'm thankful that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he said, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And I appreciate what Andrew mentioned earlier about Abraham Lincoln really setting aside a day of prayer and thanksgiving. I don't know if many people realize that that was right in the heart of the Civil War, that that cry came from the President of the United States of America. Far cry probably from today, uh, what we think about um, with politics and politicians and government and, and giving thanks for what God has done. But I'm so thankful that we as Christians, we as the body of Christ, are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, to Malachi chapter 4, as we close out our series on Malachi and welcome and usher in simple Christmas. 
While you turn to Malachi, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that love is here, that love is now. And Father, we can just picture the blood flowing from his hands and from his side and from, Lord, the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Love is here. And Father, as we close the book of Malachi and look to the Advent season and the birth of our Savior, Father, may we turn our thoughts and attention over to you, not of the ways of this world, but of what you have done for us. And we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Theologian uh, Karl Nagelsbach summed up Malachi this way, Malachi is like a late evening which brings a long day to close, but he is also the morning dawn which bears the glorious day and its womb. As we're talking about Malachi, the last words, and it, it, it's been an incredible study. I don't know about you, but I have just grown immensely in my understanding of Israel at this time, my understanding of how bitter Israel had become toward God. But then I also had to take a step back and say, wow, is the same thing true in my life today? And I think the honest answer is yes. Sometimes I get bitter. Sometimes I complain. Sometimes I don't walk as I ought to. And furthermore, there are probably times where I say the exact same things that the priests were saying in that day. When have we done this? When have I done this? Why, God? Why is it the way that it is? Commentator Bill McDonald said it this way at the end of Malachi. He said, The stage was set. Man's futile attempts to deal with the shifting tide of political power and religious beliefs had produced very little. Israel was in a kind of spiritual bondage that was even worse than her political bondage. That's terrible. That's terrible. Israel was in a worse place spiritually than they were politically, and they were not in a good place. All seemed to have been, all seemed to have failed. The stage of history was dark. The situation was indeed desperate. Not a good place to be as God's chosen and holy people. Not a great place to be as we think about coming to the last book of the Old Testament. Well, I want to go back a little bit through the Old Testament um, and just give a couple of examples of God's faithfulness, because it wasn't as though God wasn't faithful in the Old Testament. It wasn't as though God wasn't faithful to the Israelites. Over and over and over again, God proved Himself faithful. Just a couple of examples of how God provided at the right time for the Israelites. When you go back to, to Abraham, God gave Abraham a son, Isaac, right? Sarah's old age, 90 years old, having a child, and they laughed at God. And then as, as Isaac was growing, God commanded him to go up to the altar and make a sacrifice, but there was no sacrifice to be made. And Isaac even caught on to it like, Dad, what's going on here? What's going on? Don't worry, son. God will provide. God will provide. And right at the time when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, God says, stop, wait. There's a ram in the thicket right there. I want you to sacrifice. Now I see that you're faithful, and God proved himself faithful as well. How about the parting of the Red Sea, right? The Israelites uh, had received word from Pharaoh, go, get out, get out, get out, go, go, go. 
the Red Sea parts. Think about this massive body of water, as deep as deep could be, parts. Well, think about that. Wouldn't the floor have been awfully muddy, causing terrible times for thousands upon thousands of people to get across the Red Sea? And yet God provided, and not only so, as they got out of the Red Sea, then it closed back up again. And all those that were following them, can you imagine walking through the Red Sea, seeing water on both sides of you, saying, oh my word, how in the world did we get through here? But God provided. How about as they had, after that, the manna from heaven? And not only that, they complained to God, right? Every day there was manna falling from heaven, and, oh, you know, we just don't like this food anymore. Give us, give us something more. Give us some quail. Fine, fine. God, even, even, even though they complained, God said, fine. And God provided every single day as they were walking and moving, probably a, a group of two million people or so wandering, God provided enough food every single day to take care of their needs. Not only that, He gave them the quail too once they complained. Or how about lighting of the fire for Elijah, right? Elijah was uh, going up uh, against Baal and Ashtoreth um, prophets, uh, all 850 of them. And Elijah, you know, he was kind of frustrated at this point, saying, hey, I'm the only prophet left, God. I'm the only prophet left, you know, all this, all this and that. And he's got these 850 prophet, prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and they said, okay, fine, we'll see who's the real God. We'll see whose God is the real God. You've got Baal, you've got Ashtoreth, you've got all these goddesses and gods. We'll just prove it. Here's what's going to happen. Nobody's going to light a flame, but the, the, the one true God is going to cause those logs to, to, to blaze up all day, right? The diviners, the prophets, they couldn't get the flame lit. And you've got Elisha who's basically saying, you know, I can just see Elijah, come on, come on, come on, let's go. I mean, he kind of sarcastically mocked them. Come on, where's your God? Doesn't he hear you? And Elijah says, you know what? Dump my altar with water all over it. Just douse it, just douse it incredibly doused. All right, God goes up in flames. And and Elijah basically says, come on, who's the one true God? Enough. Who's the one true God? It's the God of Israel. How about one other example of, of Gideon going up against the Midianites? Man, there's a lot of Midianites we got to fight. There are a lot of Midianites we got to fight. And you know what God says to Gideon? He says, you know what? 30,000 people, that's too many. They're, they're going to take the credit for it. So he says, anybody who's, fear, who's fearful, run. And so that took 20,000 away, and then there were 10,000. You know what God said? That's still too many. That's still too many people. And ultimately, it came down to Gideon and 300 men defeating the Midianite army, giving it all over to God. These are just a smattering of moments throughout the course of the Old Testament, where God was faithful over and over and over to this small group of people who had no reason to be the chosen ones except that God chose them to be the chosen ones. That's all it is. They didn't do anything righteous and spectacular to make it that way. That's just what God chose. That little clan, if you will, over and over and over again, God provided. So we get to the time of, of Malachi, and what's going on? What's happened by the time we get there? Well, the Jews had began to grumble at obeying the law. And this is in stark contrast to David. If, 
And you don't have to turn to Psalm 119, but in Psalm 119, David says, I love your precepts 22 times in one psalm. Remember, these are the sacrifices they had to do. These are, this is all of the Pentateuch, right? The, uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He loved Chronicles. He lo- I mean, David loved these words from God, and he says, I love your precepts. Yet by the time we get to Malachi, they didn't so much love God's precepts. They didn't so much care to do God's precepts. In fact, follow with me in Malachi. If you're a person who underlines in your Bible or you write in your Bible, I would encourage you to take this moment and write in your Bible because Malachi probably doesn't get preached on a whole lot in church, so you may not focus too much time on Malachi moving forward in your, you know, in your walk, but I, I highlight, underline, circle because it helps me remember where I was. But check this out. They started to grumble. Their hearts were hard, and they didn't even recognize their sin. Malachi 1, if you're, a, if you're an underliner or a circler, now's the time to start doing so. Listen to the people of God. Chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Look at verse 6. It says, um, oh, uh, the last part of it. It says, but you say, how have we despised your name? Verse 7, how have we defiled you? Verse 13, you also say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it. I mean, look at the, look at the obstinate of God's chosen people. How have we done this? How have we done that? I'm not done yet, though. Go to chapter 2, verse 14. It's, it, it doesn't get any prettier. It gets ugly. Verse 14, the latter part, of, or the beginning part, it says, yet you say, for what reason? They're questioning, for what reason? Why should we follow you? Why should we mourn? Why should we grieve? Why should we alter sacrifice? For what reason? Look at verse 17. How have we wearied you? How have we wearied you? Chapter 3, verse 7. The last part of verse 7, it says, But you say, how shall, we, how shall we return? How shall we return? In other words, they were probably thinking, We're following your precepts. We're following your commandments. And God's saying, No, you're not. Stop offering this useful fire on my altar. Stop it. I wish somebody would put an end to it. He says, Come back. Return. And they said, How? How can we return to you? Look at verse 8. But you say, how have we robbed you? Right? God's talking to him about, how will you rob God, yet you're robbing me? And they said, how have we robbed you? Really? Come on. Verse uh, 13. Verse 13. You have said, listen to this, it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge, and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. It is vain to serve God? That's what the Israelites, the point in Israel's history where they had gotten. And then finally, verse, uh, which is verse 14, what we read as well, but the Israelites had grown so cold to God, and, and even so much that the priests were offering useless 
sacrifices on the altar to the point where they, God said, I wish you would just stop. I wish you would just quit. Well, what's even worse, the next point says that right was seen as wrong and wrong was viewed as right. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about, Alan was talking about how they were divorcing their wives of the covenant, right? They were divorcing those that were walking with God, and now they were starting to marry foreign women, and they were starting to marry outside of the faith, which really meant that they were marrying strictly for pleasure than they were for marrying to be in God's covenant and wanting to follow and obey God. And furthermore, they were saying that wrong is now right. Look at, uh, go back to chapter 3, verse 15. It says, so now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they are but they also test God and escape. Well, this is, this is pretty far from what the truth of the matter is. This is extremely far from what the truth of the matter is. It's interesting that Israel decided to take it upon themselves to decide how long evil would last before God would judge. Because ultimately what Israel was saying at this time was, man, we've seen what they do. We've seen their wickedness. And we see the fact that God doesn't step in and intervene. So they must be right. But if you were to turn over to Psalm 37, we're not going to turn there, but if you were and you want to write it down and check it out for later, if you were to turn to Psalm 37, verse 7, it talks about do not fret when evil men succeed. Why? Because God is in control and God knows their destiny and He knows their path leads to destruction. See, that's a far cry from David saying, God, I love your precepts. I love your commands to, man, the wicked seem to be thriving. I'm just going to go along with what they are. And not only that, you call the arrogant blessed. They test God, they get away with it, so they must be right. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what David said in Psalm 37. He was very clear that their end is destruction. And he said, do not fret when evil men succeed. And yet Israel was so downtrodden and downcast that they, they didn't really seem to care. And the worst part about the end of Malachi we know it looking back. Silence. Silence. For over 400 years, God was silent to the Israelites' people. So what happened in that time? Well, we had over 400 years of silence. We call this the intertestamental period. Uh, we don't have Scripture from the end of Malachi to, to the beginning of Matthew, but we do have some historical accounts, and we do know some things that happened during that time. Initially, under the Persians, who freed the Israelites uh, originally from, from the Babylonians, we know that they allowed them to have freedom of worship and economic prosperity. So initially, they experienced some pretty decent times. Then came the Greeks. Then came the Romans. Then came the Egyptians. Then came some, some other groups that started to pull them further and further and further away from God's truth and righteousness. Hellenization. The Greeks came into power. They wanted everybody to speak Greek. They wanted every written thing to be in Greek. They wanted, and if you know anything about Greek culture, it was very hedonistic, very pleasure-seeking, multiple gods and goddesses, and that started to influence the Israelites. Tough period. Movement away from God's word and a mix with Greek culture. Go ahead and move on. Also, economic leaders. 
began to oppose Jewish customs, and the Jews became more and more oppressed. Around 300 AD or so, more and more oppressed. They went from freedom to, okay, this Greek culture where anything goes, kind of like the postmodern culture we live in today, to now the economic leaders were oppressing the Jews. There was a brief restoration in about 160 BC, where we get the idea of, of Hanukkah, actually, um, uh, the Maccabean revolt to restore temple worship. But then that was shortly squabbled by Rome. And by 63 BC, Pompey had taken over, um, and, and the Israelites were under the worst oppression, the worst bondage possible. By this time, you have multiple groups of Israelites, like the Baptists and everything we have today. Now you had the Sadducees. Now you had the Pharisees. Now you had the Essenes. Now you had um, even the Zealots. Factions inside of the Israelite people. Factions upon factions upon factions. In fact, when Herod came to power, he actually realized that he was related or uh, by marriage and some of his children were actually of Jewish descent. He actually killed his wife and killed his Hasmonean descent, um, descended children as well. I mean, he was that vehemently anti-Jew that that's, that's where they were. So by the time we get to the New Testament, the Jews were in utter bondage. So what happened? Well, during that time, Israel exhausted every, every, every option possible for contentment and freedom. You know, they had the economic prosperity under the Persians. They had religious freedom. They had restored. They had tried everything. And they are as deep in bondage as they've ever, ever been. Well, what did God promise? If you go to Malachi, if you go back to Malachi, what did God promise to the Israelites? And this isn't uncommon for God to do this. It's not uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for kings or rulers. It's not uncommon today to send an announcement ahead of a big announcement that's, that's going to come. But if you look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. They didn't know when, but they knew that God was going to send an incredible message to prepare for an incredible blessing that was to come. And we know this in Matthew chapter 3, and if you want to turn there, it's actually just a couple of pages over, but go to Matthew chapter 3, and let's look at what this preparation was. And this is glorious right here. This is, this is glorious right here. Matthew writes this, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you imagine how refreshing those words must have been to, a, been to a group of people that were oppressed, both economically, politically, but remember as Bill McDonald said, spiritually more than any of all of that? And John comes by and says, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. 
And then he goes on to say this in verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, that had to be refreshing. That had to be refresh, refreshing. I can't imagine that the Israelites at this time felt that there was any good in them. I can't imagine the Israelites right now felt that they were God's chosen and really felt the love and the blessing that came from being God's chosen. At this point, I can imagine them throwing hands up in the air saying, oh God, where are you? What, what's going on? And then you have John the Baptist coming and preparing the way to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I can also imagine this. I can also imagine a lot of the Israelites saying, ah, that's just, nah, you know, ah, I don't know. It's been 400 years, I don't, ah. But God said, he promised in Malachi 4, verse 5, that he was going to prepare the way by sending Elijah to the Israelites. And that's exactly, exactly what, what happened. So what are some key takeaways that we can grab from Malachi. As we conclude this study and as we move into the Advent season, what can we take away? Well, one major thing I think we can take away, when God admonishes, don't try to justify your sin, right? Over and over, how have we? How have we? Come on, really? God, what are you talking about? God says, you've robbed me. He, look, God just flat out tells them the truth. Why would they think that God was lying to them? God says, look, you're robbing from me. You're offering defilement on the altar. Stop these sacrifices. And the only thing that the Israelite leaders could come up with was, how have we done this? What are you talking about? This isn't us. Really, it's useless to worship the Lord. Come on. Do you think God really wanted to punish and not to teach him a lesson? Do you really think that God was just angry in his punishment and didn't want to disciple them and didn't want to show them truth? I know that the hearts of men can get so hardened that anytime we are corrected and anytime we are rebuked or anytime we are admonished, our natural instinct isn't to say, hmm, there's probably something God wants to teach me here. Our natural instinct is probably, come on, what are you talking about, God? I'm the one that's oppressed here. I know he's not, a, I don't believe he's a Christian, but there is a particular football coach for the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers who Basically, when, when it comes time for him to be admonished or corrected or exhorted, he flies off the handle. After, after the loss to uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes, just the other day, he came on afterwards and said, I don't care if they fire me. I don't care. Fire me. Fire, get rid of me. I don't care if I'm fired. And not only would he not own up to his own mistakes, he basically almost threw his hat. I don't know if you saw the game, but he almost threw his hat at a referee about three feet away from him, and the ref threw a penalty. And rather than saying, you know what, I probably shouldn't have done that, here's what he says. I saw Kirk Ferentz on the other side of the field doing the exact same thing, even worse. I was, I was, hum I was humble compared to Kirk Ferentz and what he was doing. Right? Rather than just say, you know what, and in fact, the end of his press conference, he says, I will not apologize. I won't apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to sit here and apologize for anything that's gone on or that's happened. That's the heart of men. And quite honestly, that was the heart, a little bit, of Israel. How have we robbed you? Why should we follow you? Why does it matter? Because the wicked are succeeding. Might as well go off and do whatever we want to do. But that's not how God works. God doesn't admonish us to then rub us in the miry, you know, the muck, 
and just kick us down and beat us down. He does it because He wants us to be refined, which is what we spoke on a couple of weeks ago, that refining is a whole lot different than destroying. In fact, go back to Malachi just for a second, chapter 4. Look at verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Oh. We know the outcome of the wicked. Verse 1, we could have read that, we didn't, but the outcome of the wicked is they're going to burn like chaff. But the sun of righteousness will be like a healing to you for those that the for those of you that believe. Point two, never give up on God. Never give up on God. It was very clear, it was very clear what was going to happen. That may have been 400 years of silence, but part of that was because I think Israel had to go through that refining process. They had to try it on their own. You know, sometimes that's how it is. You know, I, I was one of those kids that I had to try it on my own. You know, you could tell me the dangers of drugs and alcohol. You could tell me the dangers of this and that. It didn't matter to me. I didn't care. I was going to try it. I had to try it. But you know what? The way that God works sometimes is, I think ever, all the time, is that God's there. He's with us. We don't realize it. And then when you get to your wit's end and your rope's end, you cry out and say, there's got to be something more. <laughs> than what I'm doing, and that's when God steps in. Never give up on that. The Israelites knew. They knew that a new day was dawning. They knew that a new day was dawning. Even though they weren't walking with Him. Some were, but most were not. And my challenge to you is this. Is your walk with Christ today one that looks like great blessing, great joy, great thankfulness, or do you walk around downtrodden? And by the way, Philippians 2.14, it doesn't give us the option to complain. Paul was very clear when he said, do all things without grumbling or complaining. We don't have that option, and yet we do. Wrestle with that one. <laughs> I'm, I found myself guilty in, in that as well. But the, Paul doesn't even give us the option. You know why he says that? He says do all things without grumbling or complaining because if we grumble and complain, we look exactly like the world. And you know what? If we're different, if we're called out to be separate, when the world needs to see Christ, they're not going to see it if we look just like the world. They're going to see it because we look different. Never give up on God. Number three, God's blessing is not like the curse. Christ's sacrifice was so different than Adam's sin. Adam's sin is what continued to perpetuate and perpetuate and perpetuate where the priests were doing the wrong thing, the Israelites were doing the wrong thing, and there was exasperation going on, and there was fatigue going on, and it was just a mess. But the Savior that was coming, the second Adam, the Savior that was coming, the Savior that was promised here at the end of Malachi was incredible. What an incredible, incredible blessing. And we've already looked at it in, in, in uh, Malachi 4, 1 and 2. The wicked, pretty simple, right? The wicked, they're going to be destroyed like the chaff. The righteous, it's going to be like healing, 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 healing. How amazing that is. And then finally, the last point to take away. 
It's not a question of if, but when. You may go through seasons of dryness in your walk with Christ. The Israelites certainly had their highs and they had their lows. But it's not a question of if, but when. We know that Christ is coming back for His church. Just like the Israelites knew that a Messiah was coming, we know that our Messiah is coming back. We know that He's coming back for His church. We know that there's many rooms or mansions in heaven, and there's that preparation for the body of Christ. We know that death has been defeated. We know that Christ is the conqueror. We know that God is who He says He is. So it's not a matter of if. And even for the Israelites, it wasn't a question of if. It shouldn't have been a question of if, but when. Which should cause us then to live expectantly. Right? To live expectantly. God, you are in control. God, you have won the day. Christ, thank you so much for dying for my sins. Help me to be thankful. Help me to not grumble, to complain. Help me to be more like your son in everything that I do. Because it's not a question of if, but a question of when. And not only should that stir your heart up to do his, to do his will, but man, think about those people that need to hear the message of the gospel. How are lives changed if not by hearing? How do people hear unless the word is preached? Our goal at Creekside is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We need to live expectantly. Malachi is an incredible book. There's a lot of truth to, to, that applies to us today, even from the book of Malachi. But the salvation that was coming was not like the mire that they were running around in. That salvation was going to be truly, truly amazing. The band's going to come back up and, uh, and sing some songs for us. And while they do that, we're going to have an opportunity to break bread. We're going to have an opportunity to come to the table. This is something for those that have put their faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ, to think on the bread, the body that was broken for our sins, right? The, sa the sacrifice was not like the sin. We're going to break the bread, which represents Christ's body broken. We're going to drink the cup, which is his blood spilled out. And just as that song said a couple of minutes ago, we sang, love is here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that Malachi is just the end of the beginning and that your son came, lived a sinless life to die on a cross for our sins so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Father, help us to live expectantly. Help us to put our trust in you and help us to never doubt your perfect plan that you have for your creatures. Father, help us to not ask, what, me, how, me? but to say, yes, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? And help us to do that with a humble heart and a humble spirit. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I did, a, I did a simple Google search last night, and I typed in the word Christmas. There were 2.2 billion 
websites out there on talking about Christmas, I don't think all of them wanted to make Christmas simple. Uh, We're going to be talking about in these next couple of weeks, it was a simple message, a simple city, a simple birth, and yet we complicate Christmas so much. We need to live expectantly for Christ. And if it weren't for the birth of our humble Savior, Messiah, King, name above all names, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, if it weren't for his birth, we wouldn't have had the sacrifice that we had. If it weren't for the mind of God to bring forth at just the right time this humble baby in a manger, we wouldn't have salvation that we know today. Live expectantly for him. Have a great day, everybody. God bless.